Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him as your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, just before we jumped on to record the VIP mailbag for Friday, you published an article kind of bringing everyone up to speed on the on the state of Chris Harris. What's the latest? <laughs> this is my 27th Chris Harris Jr. Art- <laughs> contract article since January 30th. So I, every step of the way here, I try to keep Broncos country updated. The latest is they're negotiating a 2019 pay bump for Chris Harris Jr. Chad, I know how you feel about that. Uh, we can talk about that if you want. But that is the direction they're moving in now. Not a long-term agreement, not even a two-year agreement. But as Justin Simmons says today, he has the support of the entire Broncos locker room. The consensus is they want him back. They really miss him, but they know he's deserving and they know what he brings to the table. So whenever he gets back, they'll be ready to rock. I just thought it was interesting that there's no you know, disharmony. There's no uh, seeds of disconsent being sown by him not being there, Chad. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, too, that it needs to get done now, and I think that if there's even a glimmer of expectation or hope for the for the front office to keep him around beyond 2019 they're better off trying to get something done now than at the end of the 2019 season and one of the reasons why is you've got your entire starting defensive line hitting unrestricted free agency next year you've got justin simmons connor mcgovern andy janovich will parks Devontae booker i mean you got a lot of not just role players starters hitting the open market and you want to make Chris Harris Jr. another one of those guys? I mean, if that's the case, if, if all they do is negotiate to fatten his 2019 contract, kiss him goodbye, he's gone. And the only hope for that not happening would be if, like, Joe Flacco goes down, you know, halfway through the season, Zach, and Drew Locke steps in and crushes it, and they don't need to keep Flacco's money on the books next year, and they can cut him and relieve that $20 million on the cap. I mean, here's also why it's a good a good time to negotiate. His value won't be lower, Chad, coming off a broken leg and the way he ended the season and the way the Broncos have approached him this year. Yeah, he was in the Pro Bowl, but it feels like he doesn't have that star potential like he did in the previous year when he stayed healthy. I am in agreement. I, you know, I think it's it's the, the conception is, the misconception is, I want a 2019 pay bump for Chris Harris Jr. I think he deserves a three-year contract. I would lock him down. 
I didn't necessarily like the fact that they signed Bryce Callahan. It was to me it was a bigger message sent to Chris Harris Jr. But it just seems the way Elway's going about it, he wants to kick the can down the road and say to himself, okay, I can placate him for this year. I can keep around an integral defensive piece for what he considers a win-now season, and then who knows what can happen. If he has a bad season, Chris Harris Jr., if he gets injured again, then that's negotiating power for the Broncos. I think Elway is content either way. Either he gets him back at a decent rate for whatever reason next offseason, or he kisses him goodbye after hopefully a productive season, and he has two cornerbacks waiting in the wings who he signed and handed money to. So Elway, I think he's he's in a win-win either way in his mind. Elway's is increasingly building up the grass is always greener on the other side reputation because you're letting your studs go. You're letting your Matt Paradises and Chris Harris Jr. probably ends up going, and you're going out and spending the money that these guys deserve, the, the actual stars who've produced for your team. You're going out and spending that money on guys like Kareem Jackson, and nothing against Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan. They're fine players in their own right, but they're nowhere near as proven or – High profile, let's say, yeah. as a Chris Harris Jr. And so I just don't, I don't understand the psychology unless there was just some kind of, you know, health, a real like the thing with Matt Paradis, you kind of understand it. They're they were concerned about his leg, whatever. Okay, you got to let him hit the bricks, whatever. But with Chris Harris, I mean, it was a mild fracture, and other than that, he tore his ACL 2013. He's been a healthy player and available player ever since then. So. I think they they just got to try and, and get out in front of that perception that's building within the locker room. You heard Von Miller talk about it when he was at the podium a few times back that, you know, you you want to see guys like Chris Harris succeed and get extended for, by the Broncos because it sends that message to the locker room that, hey, man, you come in, you buy in, you toe the line, you put in the work, you produce, and you're going to get rewarded for it, not by some other team, not one of the other 31 teams, although that's always a possibility, but by the team who cultivated your talent, developed you, brought you along, probably brought you into the league. I mean, that, that was my whole point. That's what I've been advocating the entire offseason. I even said that to you as far back as the Combine chat when we were there. I was yeah. telling you how, just take care of him already. It's yep. the optics. Send a good message. He put in the work, now reward him. I don't know why he likes to string these players along. We talked about it before with Von Miller and all these other players. Just reward the player for what they've done on the field. He's brought a lot of attention, a lot of positive recognition to Denver, and he was a part of a championship defense. You took care of Von Miller, take care of Chris Harris Jr., who makes that defense go. So I'm right there with you. It's it's a, a good message to send, and conversely, a bad message that he's taken it this far to this extent. We just have to hope now, you know, the sides can come to some sort of agreement, which is looking yeah. likely. Yeah, it sounds like momentum is building, and my bold prediction is that Chris Harris Jr. will be around in time for mandatory minicamp. That's my that's mm. my bet here yeah. in a couple of weeks or a week and a half, whatever it might end up being. But you know what? We've got a great show planned for you here today, VIP mailbag time for the subscribers. And, uh, you know, just a, a little backdrop on what's been going on this week. I've got a few kids, and one of them graduated – from junior high, so that kind of threw a wrench in our typical plan, Zach and I, in podcasting. So it's kind of rearranged the week. Obviously, you got two Building the Broncos episodes back-to-back, great episodes there. Zach and I are going to have this pod for you on Friday, but Monday, of course, is Memorial Day. I'm going to be gone, and so we're not going to have an episode for you Monday, and I talked about this on Twitter. Hopefully most of you saw that. It was retweeted by the Huddle Up podcast account. But we'll be back with a fresh episode for you waiting midnight Tuesday. So look for that. But in the meantime, we're going to jump into this mailbag first, though. Just make sure you are following the show on Twitter 
at HuddleUpPod. It is the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And like when we make announcements of things changing, things coming up, whatever it might be, like this week, that's how you know what's what. And then don't forget to leave your creative review and give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Huge way that you can support the show. All right, Zach, before we jump into the mailbag, let me just remind everybody how you can get in on the VIP mailbag each and every Friday by becoming a Mile High Huddle 24-7 Sports VIP subscriber. Super easy to do. Right now, you can get your first month for a buck. You go to the website, click on the green banner, create your account, you're locked in. And from there, not only are you going to get access to the mailbag each and every week on Fridays, but you get access also to 100% of the deep dive content we produce on the front page, which includes all of our Bronco deep dives, our Bronco film rooms, and you get access to our our members-only and staff-only MHH Insiders VIP forum. So take some time, go check that out. You can get your first month for a buck, or you can go annual right now and save 30% on an annual subscription. So check that out. But It is that time of the week where Zach and I take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because we are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one here, Zach, comes from Stuart Bronco, going on a month as a VIP subscriber. Stuart says, Wade Phillips helped coach up one of the greatest defenses of all time in 2015. It was disappointing to see him go. Look what he did to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, allowing only 13 points, which was less than both of their Super Bowl losses to the Giants. So what similarities and differences does Vic Fangio bring in scheme and personnel? Can you guys talk a bit more about 4-3 under? And finally, how do you feel about the T-Suggs, a.k.a. T-Sizzle and Bradley Chubb uh, comparison? I am really liking it. Thanks, guys. Zach, um, I'll serve this over to you, but... I mean, one thing we learned, we've been talking about it being a 4-3 under, and one thing we learned just on uh, Thursday from Adam Gotsis is that in a base, in, in the base scheme, the Broncos and, and Vic Fangio are still running a 3-4 defense. It doesn't become the 4-3 until they get into their sub-packages, basically, in terms of the alignment, the way it shakes out. So that was kind of an interesting thing hearing that from Adam Gossis because over the last couple of months, Zach, so much has been made about it being a 4-3 under, not a straight-up 3-4. But to answer the question, and I'll serve this over to you, the biggest difference between Vic Fangio and Wade Phillips is how they they, they disguise their coverages. It basically comes down to the coverages. You know. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I agree with you that this defense, like Von Miller said, it's not predicated on the secondary anymore. The whole defense on all three levels makes it go. So that's the biggest difference to me. And we talked about this before, Chad, that, you know, defenses in today's NFL, it's so interchangeable. There's the 3-3-5, the nickel, the under, the 4-3-3-4. Every team runs a variation of all those defenses. But with the Broncos this year, where Wade Phillips ran predominantly 3-4 fronts, Fangio will throw in more 4-3 looks, especially in sub-packages like you mentioned too. So he's going to bring more creative packages, a lot of more sub-packages, more blitzing, more disguising. That's where I think it will differ from what you saw, especially with Vance Joseph and Joe Woods, who did little of that. Yeah. I mean, they've talked a lot about the players, the defensive players they've had at the podium the last few days too, is just that one of the big predominant methods for Vic Fangio is he doesn't want the opposing quarterback or offensive coordinator to know what the coverage is pre-snap. Now, flip that over to Wade Phillips, going back to Stewart's question. Wade Phillips, they, and the no-fly zone, they pretty much prided themselves on lining up across 
from the opposition and just playing them in man straight up and still dominating. And they had this, the not just the scheme, but they had the personnel to execute that. Whereas with Vic Fangio, just an example, you know, the Broncos have been playing Kareem Jackson at safety. Uh, Bryce Callahan is just barely getting worked back into the mix. And of course, Chris Harris Jr. has been out. Those three corners that they've had playing in the first team defense the, the last couple of weeks, they've looked like all pros because of the way Vic Fangio disguises pre-snap in the way, as you talked about, Zach, it really comes down to all three levels of the defense. It, not so much pressure like Wade Phillips's defense is put on the corners. The corners are more of a component to the whole thing as opposed to, you know, the, the point of attack, so to speak. It's amazing what good coaching can do, Chad, even in May practices. But that's what we saw last year. How many times did we wring our hands and, and throw a remote to the TV and scream, why are they playing zone or why are they playing man? You saw it in the Kansas City game on that final drive when they were in a, a ridiculous off-press coverage when they should have been playing up close. That's coaching, and that's what we call the Fangio bump, to use that term that we kind of stole, Chad, uh, about what they can bring to the table for the, the, the defensive players in this scheme. It's not dependent on one person, on one unit, one position. They can disguise, they can bring in safeties as corners, they can use more dime-backing roles with Will Parks and, and Sua Cravens. With Fangio, the possibilities are endless, and what they can do in disguising alone and with the edge rushers you bring in off, off the side, you're going to see more blitzing from Chris Harris Jr., Bryce Callahan. The aggressiveness and the, dis- the, the disguise of their scheme, to me, is the biggest difference from Wade Phillips and Joe Woods to Vic Fangio now. Yeah, and you're going to see also, we'll get to the Bradley Chubb component of your question there, Stuart, but you're also going to see that as opposed to the Wade Phillips slash Joe Woods defenses where you had mostly a pretty clearly defined free safety and a clearly defined strong safety, you're going to see the way that Vic Fangio deploys his defense and draws it up. You're going to see that oftentimes Justin Simmons appears to be, you know, he's going to roll the coverage right before the snap. And now instead of lining up as the center fielder, he's down in the box and vice versa with Will Parks or Kareem Jackson, whoever it ends up being. So it's really a, it's, it's a lot more of a, you know, mental, um, almost intellectual difference between what Wade Phillips does and what, Vic Fangio does, and I think the only clear advantage that I can see from Wade Phillips' scheme compared to Fangio is that Wade Phillips remains just one of the best in-game play callers in instinct and knack for knowing what type of blitz or what type of coverage or what type of play to call in the right moments in key situations in games is what's really allowed him to become, over the three decades he's been in the NFL, one of the premier defensive minds. But let's talk about this Terrell Suggs-Bradley Chubb comparison here, Zach. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I, I do see that. I like it a lot. I, I happen to think, though, Chubb, if, when he fills into his body, when he goes through a couple seasons of conditioning, you know, even starting this season maybe, he'll be a little better against the run, a little better setting the edge, a little more of a complete player than Terrell Suggs. Nothing to take away from him. I mean, that guy is maybe not a Hall of Fame, but he's right up there in the very good Hall of Fame, Terrell Suggs. So they can get Bradley Chubb to that level across from Von Miller. It's just downright terrifying. I think if I'm not wrong, I could be wrong on this. And if I am, Nick Kendall's going to be razzing me about it. But I think Terrell Suggs is a little bit longer in terms of his arm length than Bradley Chubb. But I, I might be wrong on that. And that's really the biggest difference is from a measurables perspective because Bradley Chubb's like 270 pounds stand-up outside linebacker. So he should be the type of edge defender that can dominate against the run as, as, as well as you know being a, a dominant pass rusher. I'd like to see him... Maybe it's not so much a conditioning thing because for rookies, you see it, it's a pretty common theme, hitting the rookie wall. But Chubb had the rookie sack record 
you know, basically in hand. He had three games to go and whatever it was, Zach, I think two and a half sacks is what he needed. Yeah, because he was at 12 with three games left to go and the record was 14 and a half. And in three games, you know, you get one sack a game. You've got the all-time rookie sack record to yourself. But he kind of faded down the stretch. And not only was he not able to get those sacks, but you just saw him lose. He, he wasn't as potent. And so I think you can chalk a lot of that up to just being a rookie and learning that, you know, the NFL season, Zach, is a grind. It's a war of attrition. It lasts a really long time as compared to what these guys are used to with the college game. And also him being dropped into coverage for no reason didn't help either. So hopefully that won't happen as much with Vic Fangio. I I do tend to agree with that, though. And that's what I said. Like, once he puts on a full offseason, even this season, you'll see, I think you'll see a difference in him. Maybe be a little more leaner, a little more quicker on the edge. Once he goes through that in the NFL for a little while, he's really going to develop into a a true, complete all-around player. All right, let's get to this next question here from Bronco Fan 5555. Five. Long-time member. He also helps us out as a moderator on our forums. Great dude. He says, I have a question that I put on another thread. How much risk is there that Rich Scangarello will only be in Denver for one year, snatched away to be a head coach somewhere else? That could make his success as an offensive coordinator a bittersweet proposition. On one hand, if he is highly successful, that means the Broncos hit it out of the park this year. On the other, great success means a short time in Denver to work on getting locked to be a franchise quarterback, which long-term is a much more important goal than having 2019 be a success. Right now, developing Locke and Brett Rippon into NFL quarterbacks has to be very near, if not at the top of the priority list, and, and he goes on. He also says here, that raises another question. Let's say that Scangarello gets an offer after this year to become a head coach. He is very young at 47, comparatively. Is it possible that with Elway sweetening his paycheck, he might be willing to do a Josh McDaniels type of deal and stay as an offensive coordinator to complete his task here rather than take a head coach opportunity elsewhere? Has Scangarello given any hints about his long-term career goals? So kind of a lot to unpack there, Zach, but I think the first is, you know, we're really putting the cart before the horse here. I mean, you want to talk about unproven. We can talk about Zach uh, what was his name? Zach uh, getting hired in Cincy. I just had a break. Taylor. Taylor. Okay. Zach Taylor, who is young, even younger than Scangarello, getting a head coach job as a f- former quarterbacks coach there in L.A. Well, at least Zach Taylor can say he's been an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Okay. He'd been in two different spots in O.C. And Rich Scangarello can't say that. In fact, he's only been coaching in the NFL for five years. Right. So let's see how he does. I mean, it's definitely a concern. But that's just one of those things, fives, where, you know, if he ends up being a, a, a stunning success in the Broncos' offense's upper echelon in 2019, it's just one of those good problems to have. Yeah, I feel like we talked about this last week, Chad, about him being a possible head coaching candidate sometime down the road, or Vic Fangio. I feel like we had this question before, but it's way, way, way too soon to say anything about him. He might even be a bad coordinator. He might be a bust. We don't know what he's going to be like. We know nothing about the guy. In terms of an NFL career, he's an infant. He's a baby in this league, so we, we have to grow with him as much as he grows with the Broncos. If he's successful, if he turns out half as successful as McDaniels, who's won multiple titles— then yeah, I think they would have some sort of succession plan or yeah. look to keep him in place. But right now, on May 23rd in his first year, before one snap has taken place of a game, 
Um, it's just way too soon to say anything. He also says here, five, so he says, a cor- corollary question is, can Scangarello get Drew Locke or Brent Rippon to where they need to be development-wise in just one year, or will it take two years as Elway projected? And, you know, this is one of those things, Zach, where, again, we talked about in the opening segment that the Broncos are going to have a lot of key players, including starters, hitting the open market as free agents at the end of this season. It is in the team's best interest to try and you know, streamline his development, Drew Locke, because if they can get him to a point by the end of the season where they can feel confident investing in him as the starter in 2020, it opens up about another $20 million that the team can work with to re-sign their own and then, of course, continue to build the roster. And the thing is, Locke and Rippon aren't going to be on the same developmental timeline. They're two different quarterbacks, and they're being groomed for two different positions more than likely. Drew Locke is the potential face of the franchise, where a ripping could be maybe a high-end backup like a Trevor Simeon or maybe a friend starter at most. So they're going to be on different timelines. They want Locke to take over no later than 2021, preferably 2020 if Flacco doesn't work out so well. But Rippon is on a whole different timeline. If they can just get Locke up to speed, though, and match his physical tools with the mental processing that comes along with the game— then every penny they're paying Scangarello will have been worth it. That's why they hired him. But right now, it's just too soon to say what's going to happen with anything. Just a quick aside, a couple of episodes back on Building the Broncos, they had Mark Schofield on the podcast, the the brainchild behind Inside the Pylon, does a lot of different writing. He does Locked on Patriots. And he's kind of developed a reputation, and justifiably so, as a media kind of quarterback guru. You know, as far as his analysis, he does great work, and I really trust what he has to say. Well, going into this draft, Zach, he had Brett Rippon as the number four quarterback in the class, ahead of even Daniel Jones, who we all know went number six overall, which, you know, he talked about, Mark Schofield, just kind of being like, I I don't understand how I could have been so wrong, you know, in my opinion, could have been so different, basically, than what the actual teams of the NFL were thinking with regard to Rippon, but... It is interesting, and I don't think you're wrong in that, you know, they're not, Locke and Rippon aren't receiving exactly the same opportunity because the Broncos don't really have much of an investment in Rippon, whereas with Locke, he's the second round pick. He's the first round caliber guy who dropped. You know, he's got that, the type of story that is familiar to fans, that underdog story similar to Aaron Rodgers or Dan Marino, even, even those are big names to compare Locke to, but those, those big names who, you know, dropped in the first round and went on to really go on a tear in terms of having that chip on their shoulder and going on to do great things. The Broncos are hoping that's what the how the story plays out for Drew Locke in Denver. He's going to be given way more of an opportunity to succeed. He's going to be the one playing with the twos. If, you know, Joe Flacco goes down, it's going to be Drew Locke. It's not going to be Brett Rippon. He's going to get more opportunity playing with the better players on the roster. So even within that, couched within that concept, though, Zach, I'm interested to see just what the Broncos have in Brett Rippon because Mark Schofield was just so confident in his ability. I mean, he saw him as the number four quarterback in this class, which makes me even more excited to see these two guys throw down in these five preseason games we come, we have coming up. And they're going to be here you know, sooner than you, than you realize. I mean, yeah, I was excited about Rippon. Chad, I thought he was a, a fifth-round prospect or so, and to get him as an undrafted free agent, it was a coup for the Broncos. I'm just saying that they're going to get the same coaching but they're going to work on different aspects with each quarterback. Locke is a completely different quarterback than Brett Rippon. I'm excited to see both, but Scangarello is going to have to mold Rippon. They want to work on his technique, his accuracy, his footwork, whereas you know maybe Rippon doesn't need those same coaching instructions. So it's a whole different process. They're on the same coaching level, 
But the, the timeline in which they're going to be ready and the timeline uh, for which they're being prepped for, those, I think, differentiate to me. We still have a few questions that we're going to answer on today's podcast. But first, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. So the next question here comes from Paul, 826, going on five months as a VIP subscriber. He joined us at the top of the year. He says, what offensive wrinkles do you see Scangarello coming up with for Philip Lindsay? How would a fake jet sweep left and toss to Lindsay right type thing? Would it be a good idea? I think, Zach, and you, you can you know answer this, but there's so many creative ways that you could utilize a player like Philip Lindsay. And he proved last year that he can pound it between the between the tackles and he can, you know, when you need to kind of turn your offense into a power type of, of deal and wear down the opponent, he can be that guy, but you're going to pay the price because he's, you know, not even 200 pounds or whatever. But a smart and savvy coordinator, man, the things you could do, getting him out in space with that speed and that twitch, I mean, the possibilities are endless. Even Scangarello touched on this specifically about the jet sweeps and how they're kind of taking over the NFL. They run a lot of them in with the 49ers in San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan. That's one way for sure. Get the ball in his hands as much as possible. The only thing that's going to be different from last year, the between the tackle stuff, I think, will be cut back a little bit to keep him fresh. That's where Royce Freeman will get more carries this year. But as a pass catcher, he should get more receptions. Uh, those the trick plays, you know, like they saw last year, the the quick tosses, a little the two handed touch tosses to him. Anything to get the ball in his hands as a receiver, as a as a running back, they're going to do. But between the tackles, bang him in there on first and second down. I think that's going to uh, be drawn back just a little bit. All right, next question here comes from No Fly Zone 2125, going on 17 months as a VIP. He says, what are some low-key players that could sneak onto the roster and could Devontae Jackson, the running back, somehow make it onto the roster? I've heard he's made some big impressions. Granted, I know it's only OTAs, but it's still nice to hear, and it excites me every time I hear Drew Locke that he made a, the, the throw of the day at OTAs. Do you guys think with the type of talent we have on the defensive line and – Mike, could that, I'm not sure, oh, Mike Linebacker, could that drastically improve our, oh, Mike Munchak, could that drastically improve our O-line this year? I feel like the battle in the trenches for us is going to help a lot, especially having two of the best coaches on the D and O-line. So, Devontae Jackson, let's just start with that real quick, Zach. Undrafted rookie, the Broncos signed him, and he's got a long road to hoe if he even hopes to make the practice squad. Yeah, I think that's his best bet, barring injuries. I mean, you have three running backs and a fullback who are entrenched there, so I don't give much of a chance. As far as the talent on the D-line and the trenches with Mike Munchak coming in to bolster the other side, I mean, that's one of the encouraging aspects of the way this roster is shaping up in 2019 because you're returning three starters in Derek Wolf, Shelby Harris, and Adam Gotsis. Plus, you're adding in the expertise of Vic Fangio, Ed Donatel, And then on the other side of the ball – not only did you get Mike Munchak, which was a massive coup we've talked about many, many times on the show, but you also flooded the roster with some upgrades in the form of Juwan James at right tackle and Dalton Reisner probably at left guard. I mean, yeah, the Broncos are just uh, spoiled right now with Bill Kalar and they have Mike Munchak and the talent they have that they've brought in this year and they've groomed and they've coached. I, they're very exciting. And to answer the question, going up and practice against that every day, I mean, iron sharpens iron, pressure creates diamonds. That's what's going to happen for the Broncos. It's going to make every player in there better. And one, a couple of players I'm excited to see get better in that department are Draymond Jones, his development near one in the trenches, going up against those big nasties. And also Demarcus Walker, Chad, who we talked about. I want to see if anything could be salvaged out of him with so much talent and competition around him. 
I can tell you this, that Walker is feeling the uh, feeling the pressure right now because Draymond Jones is looking like the truth thus far. And even though it's sure. only OTAs and they're not hitting and they don't have the pads on, Jones is just showing some freaky twitch as as a defensive lineman. So one more question here from No Fly Zone 2125. He says, sorry to double up in the mailbag. And don't worry about that. We answer everyone in the mailbag. If you guys were to do a scouting report on Drew Locke, what would you come away thinking and saying about him? Well, it's interesting he puts this in to today's uh, mailbag thread, Zach, because there was an interesting compelling read from Doc Bear earlier this week that we published that did very, very well. A lot of eyeballs on that article. And he came away with basically five reasons why Drew Locke slipped from the first round to the second round. And really what it boils down to, you know, I'll kind of sum it up is and this you know this holds up to the film study I've done on Drew Locke is there's just so much raw talent and ability there and the arm talent is so great and the athleticism is great the problem is his accuracy and that accuracy is governed by just a deficiency in technique from his footwork to you know uh, discipline in terms of applying his his technique so once he polishes those things up, Zach, and he gets them in line, which is what Scangarello and T.C. McCartney, that's what their brief is this year, he can be a very formidable weapon because he can have that to rely on. And then similarly, I don't want to draw just another comparison to another MVP, but similarly to Patrick Mahomes, because he he honed his, his technique and got it down, it allowed him at times to improvise, as you saw last year watching Patrick Mahomes, to where he could utilize that that rare athleticism and arm talent to do things outside the pocket or at different angles that just make you go, whoa, because he has the arm. And yep. that's the similar potential that Drew Locke has, Zach. But it, he does have his his you know his uh, weaknesses, and that's what the coaches are here to iron out. And, and there have been you know scouting reports that have compared Drew Locke to Patrick Mahomes just based on arm talent alone. I happen to agree with the Broncos' assessment of Drew Locke. He's, as what you see on tape, strong arm, uh, ridiculous arm angles of throws he can make. He has sneaky mobility. He has the prototypical size at 6'3 and change. He's everything you want physically on paper, but as we learn with Pax and Lynch, it takes so much more than just being uh, looking like the part. And he needs to work on his footwork. He needs to work on his mechanics. He needs to work on his technique. He needs seasoning. He needs coaching. He needs to sit and learn. And that's why the Broncos, as much as I don't like the Joe Flacco move, I like having someone in there to take the pressure off the rookie and not have a trial by fire. This is exactly what he needs. And if the Broncos can be patient, like the point you just made, Chad, they could be patient like the Chiefs were and just get by with a veteran quarterback, the, the, the reward could be staggering. I mean, they can have their potential franchise quarterback for the next decade. It's a mouthwatering uh, prospect for them. Next question here comes from Arctic Bronco, going on four months as a VIP. He says, Fangio's defense favors versatile multi-position players such as Kareem Jackson uh, Jackson at corner and safety and possibly Justin Hollins at edge and off-ball linebacker. Who are some of the players that have the least position versatility? Thanks, he says. Um, I wouldn't get too hung up on the whole position versatility thing. I mean, it's always a bonus. You know, even Dakota Watson is a position versatile type of guy that can play not only special teams and defense, but he can play edge, he can play off the ball. I think really it's you want versatility at certain positions. And for Vic Fangio, that's going to be at, especially in the secondary, you want guys to be able to, like from corner, Zach, be able to go from inside to outside. Safety's being able to rotate and play different roles on the defensive line. Also guys that can play both the, the defensive end and the interior defensive tackle positions. So the Broncos have that in spades. 
I don't think, I mean, we could go through a long laundry list, Arctic Bronco, not to minimize your question, but there's a lot of guys who are pigeonholed. I mean, we can talk about Todd Davis not yeah, having that, versatility. That was mine. Yep. We can talk about Josie Jewell not yep. having versatility. So I think it's just important, Zach, for, for fans to keep in mind that that versatility, it's valuable, it's important, but really it's going to be utilized at specific places, and mostly that's going to be in the secondary and on the D-line. Spot on, Chad. I, I literally can't say it better than that. You agree? I agree with everything that you said. If we're going to play devil's advocate, though, what jumped out to me were Todd Davis, Josie Jewell, uh, the inside linebackers. Maybe someone like Demarcus Walker, who's proven that he's having trouble adapting, and someone like Bryce Callahan, who's strictly a slot corner, an elite slot corner, though he can play out slide, outside, but the slot is his wheelhouse. But you're right. I mean, it's only going to come in handy in certain times, certain positions. Don't read too much into that that one term. Fangio knows best uh, where to deploy certain players at certain spots, so we'll have to trust him with that. All right, next one here comes from Burke 2105 and it's not exactly a question. He more is kind of looking for our take on something. And by the way, VIPs, that's totally okay. The mailbag doesn't necessarily have to be straight-up questions. If you're just looking for what our take might be on something, by all means, as Burke's doing here, fire away. He says, not a question. It's just something I found interesting and wanted to hear what y'all thought about it. Bobby Wagner's in the final year of his contract and has openly said that he wants to be the highest-paid linebacker in the NFL. So he's in a similar position to Chris Harris. Both signed contracts before their respective markets exploded. Both are top five or top two in Wagner's case at their position and deserve to be paid that way. It's interesting, though, that Wagner is present at OTAs. And although he isn't practicing, he said that there's to, in his words, to, he's there to be a leader and to support the young guys. And because he wants to, quote, send the right message. Do y'all think that if Harris took this approach, the front office would view things differently, specifically the thought of Chris getting a long-term deal. It's interesting that Wagner doesn't have an agent and is representing himself and is doing things in an unorthodox manner, but Chris, his agent, has reportedly butted heads and been the center of some of the conflict between both sides. Great question. That really is. It's a great question to think about. I don't know. I I do think maybe if Harris would have showed up and showed some good faith with the Broncos, even though he showed plenty to me and just came to the offseason program, it would have sped the process up. Maybe he would have gotten what he wanted a little sooner. But based on Elway's ego and, and the stance, and especially a financial stance, when he digs in on someone, he doesn't relent. It didn't help that Harris's agent uh, gave him a, a trade me or pay me demand an ultimatum. It didn't help that he wanted to be the highest paid corner. He didn't handle it the right way, Chris Harris Jr. But I don't know that him being there for these voluntary workouts would have got that you know five year, hundred million dollar, whatever he wants contract. It would have still helped, but not enough, I think, to close any sort of deal. See, I don't think it would have made any difference. Yeah. My, my thoughts on this, real quick, with players, and you've talked about this before on the podcast yourself, Zach, is that. Players, it's, uh, very rarely are they the ones with leverage. And when they do have those, those leverage points, you have, to, you have to bear down on them. Because, let's face it, if Chris Harris just sh- put out to his agent or talked about it on Twitter and just showed up at OTAs that he wants $15 million a year, the Broncos would have just gone about their business and worried about it in the fall. That's, it, it would, nothing would happen. And if what this ends up shaking out to be is just a sweetening the 2019 contract, it wouldn't have happened if he would have just showed up and still been vocal in the media, it, like Wagner's doing. I don't think with Elway. Now, every GM's different, right? Every GM has a different history and resume as it relates to negotiations and different personalities. I don't think, Zach, John Elway would have taken it nearly as seriously or, or approached it with any kind of urgency similar to what's happening now 
had Harris followed the same suit with Wagner. So I think this is a situation where Harris has seen how it's shaken out for his teammates since he's been here in 2011, from Vaughn to Demarius Thomas to we could go down the list. And he knew that if he's going to make a play, this is how he's got to do it. It's true that it's two different scenarios. You know, maybe Seattle values Wagner more than the Broncos value Chris Harris Jr. What's come to light, what's come to be known for sure, is that they don't want him around for necessarily the next half decade. They think he can be helpful this year, and they're content losing him next offseason. The only way that I thought it could help, even incrementally, was if he would come show up and, and play for or practice under Vic Fangio, and then that message would be relayed to Elway. And since we know how much Elway has leaned on Fangio to this point and been open to his input, you never know. But I tend to agree with you. It wouldn't have made a difference. It wouldn't have gotten that $15 million mark just by showing up to some voluntary practices. It's ultimately two different situations. I'll just say this. If John Elway lets Chris Harris Jr., doesn't take this opportunity to lock Harris down on a multi-year deal, he can look forward to competing against him with the New England Patriots next year because mm. that's what's going to happen. Next question here, last one, comes from Bronco Guy 65 going on seven months as a VIP. He says, not really a Bronco question, but I know very little about both of the hosts. I would love to hear an origin story of how you two came to be on the pod and a little bit of y'all's background. Thanks. Um, well, let me set the stage for this, Zach, and then I'll serve it over to you. So basically the way that Zach and I partnered up and came into orbit is I started Mile High Huddle with the Scout Media Network back in 2014, all right, dialing it back a few years. And about a year and a half ago, Scout Media got per, well, got bought, was purchased by CBS Sports slash 24-7 Sports. And when that happened, eventually they merged our two sites. So Zach, meanwhile, was running the Broncos page for... 24-7 sports. And so then they merged Mile High Huddle with Zach's 24-7 sports. And then basically we became partners in a sense. And so I had been doing the Huddle Up podcast, as a lot of you know, uh, for a while. And so as soon as we merged, I hit up Zach. I was like, hey, dude, let's start podcasting together. Let's, you know, unify the brand, so to speak. Let's do this. And here we are, Zach. Yeah, and we've been doing it since I think the around free agency last year was our first uh, podcast together, Chad, and it's been a, a great venture ever since then. And we've put our forces together, and uh, it's it's I think Broncos Country's been proud of the content we've been putting out. It's been double and triple the volume and the page views and and uh, the responses and the feedback's been great. I mean, I've been with twenty four seven. This will be my fourth season on the Broncos and my third year in August. Uh, but we've only been working together, Chad, a year uh, yeah. together. So it's it's been a great great venture and. I can speak on behalf of Chad that I look forward to so much more. And, and, the, and the the groundswell of support for Broncos country is so appreciated. And we, this could not be even possible without you. So I love doing it. I'm looking forward to a lot of years more of it. And it really worked out because when I hit Zach up about it, I mean, we had a vested interest to partner up on this. But it really worked out, too, because Zach had been wanting to get a pod going himself. That's right. And so, yeah. you know, we were able to kind of combine our powers and – and uh, produce this this Huddle Up podcast. And really, I mean, Huddle Up was good before, don't get me wrong, but like we've been able with Zach partnered up together. We've just, we have great chemistry. We, we share a brain on a lot of things. Creatively, we're very similar. When we met up in Indianapolis for the Combine, it was like we've known <laughs> each other for 10 years. Yeah. You know, we just, we just jive. And you, people either have chemistry or they don't. And whether it's a podcast or radio, things like that, you're, the co-hosts have to have that chemistry. And sometimes it takes a lot longer to hone and develop that chemistry. Zach, I think we, you know, it might have taken an episode or two to kind of iron out the kinks and kind of yeah. figure out each other's vibe and stuff. But 
I think we really hit the ground running as it relates to just getting on the same page chemistry-wise and, and forming kind of a unifying um, brand on the podcast. We have. I mean, we bring, I think, a good dynamic to the table. I think it makes for an interesting listen. It's kind of the yin and yang. And, and I think Broncos country, I mean, based on the reviews we've seen and the, the Twitter messages and the Facebook messages, Chad, the support for this podcast and for everything we do at 24-7 and, and Mile High Huddle, it literally could not be better. And, and we're, I'm just so appreciative personally. It just makes me want to work, work harder and do more for Broncos country. Let's drill a little bit deeper for our listeners because I know Bronco guy is not the only one that gets curious about the host here. What was it that, how did you get into this digital business, you know, uh, covering football? How, what motivated you? What sparked it? How did you get into to what you do? Well, I mean, I've been watching football since I can remember, so I've been walking. I, I actually started a NFL blog when I was in high school, when I was a sophomore. And then I've been, I was working on that for a few years. Uh, then I started taking up some some freelance jobs. I was a N- NFL columnist for Fansided. I covered the Miami Dolphins for a uh, now defunct uh, media company. And I landed with 24-7 covering the Broncos in 2016 after doing some writing gigs elsewhere. And it's it's been a really good opportunity for me. It's been a full-time job and a full-time grind. And I've seen a lot. You know, I, I joke around with you, Chad, and some other people that ever since I hopped on the Broncos beat – They've gone to crap. <laughs> they were a Super Bowl winning team, yeah. and then I hopped on. They go through the biggest stretch of futility in 50 years. So I apologize to any Broncos fans for that. That's probably my fault. But well, it didn't it help helped. you. It didn't help your cause that John Elway chose to hire Vance Joseph. So no, there no. is that. No, of course, but I was the one that kind of, I felt I was the reason why that happened, that <laughs> Kyle Shanahan wasn't chosen because of me, but yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot, a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of ups and downs. It's a really fun team to cover, really great environment, and I just, uh, I could not be happier, Chad. Yeah. It's just funny how things work out, you know, serendipity, the way things, you know, the way life kind of draws people together and whatnot. For me, just like a lot of you listening to the show, I was a very passionate and involved and uh, active fan of the Denver Broncos and of football. And that's just the truth. And I was active on message boards and different online communities as it relates to the Broncos. And one thing led to another where I was given opportunities to go from just being like commenter guy to actual writer and blogger and then that grew into you know sports media companies recruiting me for bigger and better opportunities and and then here I am and just like Zach I also have some roots with fansided a lot of you know that I was um, one of the editors of predominantly orange for a stretch there before I started mile high huddle and then scout came knocking and they're like hey we want you to start a broncos website from scratch obviously you'll be on our network but there's zero social media there's zero audience, basically. You know, you just got to kind of start from scratch, but you can name it, you can brand it, you can fill out a staff, you can basically do whatever you want. And so I was like, okay, that sounds great. And I jumped and did that, and it worked out extremely well for four years. And then the, that company got bought, as I had already mentioned, by CBS, and here we are. So now, Zach and I, I mean, we have a monster here in what yeah. we've created with the website i mean we do a huge amount of traffic it would blow your guys mind the numbers that we do and it's due to you guys it's due to your passion and your um you know you the way you guys follow up and stay engaged and you read everything we put out you listen to the pods you engage with us on social media you comment you subscribe become vips so it's all part of the same big ball of wax we're all one big community and as zach said i gotta echo it Without you guys, we wouldn't, honestly, neither one of our careers would be here without your guys' support. 
And, you know, we have so much stuff and, and, and good things to come, Chad. We talked about we have merchandise coming out for Huddle Up. Uh, we have a season approaching that should be a really fun year for Denver, especially with Vic Fangio and all the, the changes they made. Chad and I both talk about it, that they're going to get back on the upswing now. Even with me on the beat, even my unlucky presence, they're going to get back on the upswing. So good things are on the horizon for both what we do and the Broncos. But uh, the support among the fan base could not be better. I just once again, I, I really do appreciate it. But I think it's good for people to hear our story because neither one of us, okay, we're not people who went to school for four years to become journalists. Okay, we worked our way up. Now, I don't want to speak for Zach, you know, specifically, but generally speaking, we're guys who, you know, kind of had a passion and a dream. And we started from square one. We paid our dues. We worked our way up. And so in that same sense, you know, not to uh, Americanize it, but it's the American dream. Every one of you guys can achieve the same type of things, you know, and it helps if you obviously, Zach, you know, not only do you got to be motivated, but you got to have some creativity, right? You got to have a flair for the vernacular. You got to have some some creative uh, dynamic, you know, juice to you a little bit there, too. But so anyway, you guys, thank you very much for all your questions on today's episode. We went a little bit long, but it felt good because we took a day off. But again, We're not going to be around for Monday, but stay tuned because we're going to have a fresh episode waiting for you after the holiday on Tuesday. But in the meantime, here's what you can do. Make sure you stay up to date with the website because we're going to be publishing all kinds of content between now and then on milehighhuddle.com. Zach's going to be publishing. I'll still be publishing even though I'll be away. We just won't be able to podcast. Also, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. Don't forget to leave your creative review and subscribe and give us that five-star rating also on iTunes. And then again, have a great Memorial Day weekend. Everybody stay safe. We'll see you on the other side. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.